Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned into another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. How are you, my friend? Honored to have you here listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. On this episode, I'm pulling an interview out of the archives with internationally renowned jazz banjoist and vocalist Cynthia Sayer. The New York Times had this to say about our special guest, Miss Sayer finds lively banjo harmonies and provocative phrasing, a rare jazz banjoist. In this interview, she joined us to talk about her album entitled Attractions, and also the many musical legends she performed and recorded with. Cynthia is a woman of many talents. She composes songs, sings, and in addition to the banjo, she performed on the piano as a 10-year veteran of the Eddie Davis New Orleans Jazz Band, featuring Woody Allen. Cynthia Sayer is a woman who is changing the way the banjo is perceived and appreciated by the public, both in terms of who plays the instrument, but also with respect to the many styles which can be performed on the banjo. We brought this interview back out because, one, I think it'll be interesting to you, and also because of her thoughts on Eddie Davis, who has sadly passed away. I want to get these interviews out there and heard by as many people as possible. Let me know what you think. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Leslie presents, and now your host, Paul Leslie. The New York Times has called this woman a rare jazz banjoist. They also said Cynthia Sayer is a rarity, a woman who plays jazz banjo with the drive and virtuosity of banjo stars from the early 20th century, the heyday of the instrument. It is with great pleasure that we welcome our special guest, the very talented, the very musical, the lovely Cynthia Sayer. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. First of all, you sing, you play banjo and the piano, and you even write songs. How did it all start? As a kid, I played various different instruments. Piano was my first instrument. I started that when I was six. But I've played a bunch of different instruments, and at one point I was very into the drums. I wanted to get a drum set because I saw a school talent show or something where there was a dance band and the drums, I just thought the swinging drums were fabulous. I was already playing drums in the orchestra. I was already playing classical drums, but I wanted to play a drum set. So I asked my parents and they said, no, absolutely not. It's too loud. (laughs) I'm pretty stubborn. And one day I came home from school and there was a banjo on my bed. And I knew immediately it was a bribe, that I would never get my drums. I didn't know much about what it was, really. I had a vague association with bluegrass music. I didn't know there were different kinds of banjos at all. And I just thought, well, okay, why not? I'll play this thing. What's the difference? I'm not going to get my drums. So I took some lessons, and it ended up that my parents had thought of the banjo to begin with only because there was a woman, unusually enough another woman player, who lived in my hometown who had advertised in the local paper to teach. And so I went to her to get started on lessons, and she became a very important role model for me. I adored her. I liked the banjo okay. It didn't, like, wow me. The banjo was for fun. Piano was for real music in my mind. But this woman 
I had never met an adult who was in the arts before. And she validated all these inclinations that I had about the kind of life she led and the travel and the adventure, what I saw as adventure, and living with art as part of her life. So we became very close, and that that encouraged me to continue the banjo. And then I started getting jobs. (laughs) So that really got me uh, going because, you know, when you're a teenager, all you can do is go babysitting. Or I used to give piano lessons to the neighborhood kids, too. But this was much more fun to play banjo. And that just got me started. And later on, I fell in love with jazz. Later on, I started to try to learn to play jazz and, and started to care about it as an art. But initially, it was something that was fun. It was a means to a lifestyle that I thought would be fun, you know, lots of adventure and performing and all these things. But then I eventually fell into it for the right reasons. And that's when I evolved into uh, wanting to become a professional musician. I had thought it was very temporary at the beginning. And what is it that you like about the banjo now? The banjo has a very special sound that I find really appealing. It's very bare-bones honest. It has an earthy, raw kind of edge to it, which I like. And it sort of gets down to what's real. Just like the kind of music that I like to play, uh, early jazz has this edge, this sort of primitive and raw edge to it. It can have that. Of course, it depends on the style and, and the player's inclination. But I seem to be drawn to that honest, real kind of thing. I also love how articulate it is. Its rhythmic capabilities are just incredible. It's like a drum that has all kinds of sound and notes to it. So I'm very attracted to the rhythmic side of it, too. And, you know, and of course, I was interested in the drums before, so that appealed to me. It's fun. You know, and everyone was playing guitar and stuff. Banjo's all cool because it's kind of different, too. So that, that I used to be attracted to, but now it's just for what it is. It's just like my friend. <laughs> it's a sound I love. It certainly is a unique sound. There's a quote from you. You said, I'm often told I don't look like a banjo player, but I'm a little afraid to ask what that means. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's just because the banjo is so male-identified. And the ironic thing is, historically, that wasn't the case. Originally, the banjo was associated as an African-American music. But then the next level, the banjo became a female, a white female instrument. So there was a phase in banjo's history where it was a woman's instrument. Then that just totally changed as time went on, and it became very male-identified, and then eventually very white male identified it. It also lost a lot of its African-American roots as a living association to the music, but some of that's being reclaimed, luckily enough. And you'll find many women hobbyists playing banjo, but for some reason, they're all smarter than I am. They don't go into it as a profession. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was actually kind of interested to read that banjo is actually an African word. Well, it's a derivative of an African word. I mean, the banjo was evolved from an African gourd instrument, which was brought over to America along with captured slaves. And it was played on plantations by African-American slaves and African slaves, and it evolved into a banjo over time here in this country. But it had many different forms before it evolved into a banjo that were more closely related to its African origin. (laughs) 
all of the listeners out there can check out your website, CynthiaSayer.com, and you have an album, your latest album, called Attractions. There's so many styles on that album, and I really, really like that album a lot. I was hoping you could tell us, do you have a favorite style of music to play on the banjo? I've been a professional player for a long time. I've always considered myself a jazz musician, and I seem to be in a phase now where jazz is just one thing that I want to do. I want to stretch and do all kinds of genres. I, I have done them now and then in the past. I've had the great honor to work with like the New York Philharmonic and do various recordings for film and, and TV and, and theater and that kind of thing, which involve different genres of music. But mostly, I've always played jazz. I love so much more than just jazz. I mean, not that jazz is a small thing to love. It's a huge thing to love. In attractions, I try to embrace just some of the many other styles of music that I play from a jazz vantage point. And I was hoping for it to come out as more eclectic and more broad, have a broader base, a broader genre base than a strict jazz album. And I worked with some great musicians. You know, I was really honored that I could gather these guys, you know, all at the same time because everybody has such complicated touring schedules. And it enabled me to go and lean in one way, lean to tango, lean to western swing, lean to traditional jazz, lean to straight-ahead jazz, lean to theatrical, lean to classical music, different, different directions. And you just mentioned tango. There's one song on the album called Banjo Tango, and that's yeah. a really cool song. I was hoping you could tell us about that one. I've always loved the tango. There's something about that music. It has some of the qualities that I love about early jazz. It's so, there's something primal and emotional about it. And it's, of course, very sexy. Tango is just so rich. I just love it. And the banjo, there's actually an historic connection with the banjo. There were tango banjos that used to play in uh, tango orchestras. I just feel the banjo is very well suited to something like the tango and many other genres beyond where it is traditionally used. The pet peeve of mine that the banjo is very narrowly associated with, with very certain kinds of music, yet it can do so much more. Tango to me is a perfect fit. I just thought it was great. And so I wrote banjo tango to uh, blend both a pure tango sound and also jazz, because I think they work together very well. And there are have been many groups out there who have combined tango, classic tango, and jazz. I'm certainly not alone with that. But I made use of my jazz background and the banjo sound to, I hope, work nicely with tango. There's a second tango on there, El Choclo, which is a tango that many people are familiar with. And, and that we kept a pretty strong tango rhythm and also played jazz, but within a tango feel for that one, as opposed to departing into jazz like I do on banjo tango. Yeah, the album is definitely all over the place, which makes for a very exciting journey that you take us on. How did you come up with the title of the album, Attractions? Well, it was just the things that appealed to me, the things that literally attract me. I was trying to figure out what to call it. <laughs> and then I thought, well, these are songs that I like. These are things that attract me. And I was like, aha, that's it, <laughs> attractions. So the minute I sort of said it, I knew that was the right title for it. In addition to the two songs that you composed, there's a lot of really great covers on the album. Do you have a favorite song on the album? No, I don't. Um, I can name a couple that I particularly enjoyed. One is 
Tiny Grimes tune, Romance Without Finance. I had the privilege of knowing Tiny Grimes before he passed away, and we actually had some jam sessions on the telephone. And uh, for listeners who aren't familiar, Tiny Grimes was a four-string guitar player who played with greats like Art Tatum and also with Bird, you know, he with Charlie Parker he recorded. So he worked with huge stars. This is a song that he wrote, and I sort of just had fun making it rather theatrical, so that was just fun. Half as much uh, Hank Williams. I'm a huge Hank Williams fan, so it was really fun to do a Hank Williams tune from a jazz perspective, yet paying tribute to Hank Williams. I, I guess I particularly enjoyed those, but mostly these tunes were about writing the arrangements for me. I enjoyed working on the arrangements. That was a big challenge, and that was fun. One of the songs that you wrote, it's kind of a cool little story, and it's called The Gift. So I was yeah. hoping you could tell us about The Gift. At the risk of sounding <laughs> kind of, I don't know, too philosophic or something, it's supposed to be a kind of metaphor about myself. It's a biographical metaphor, which sounds so literary, and I don't mean for it to be so academic, but it's just about searching for what matters in life which for me was, in the song, you know, I described finding music and finding a place with being in the arts and also with finding love. So to me, that's what there is. There's there's work and there's love. Those are the things of life. And and in my case, work is, is music. And so that pretty much tells my story, how I stumbled across it, because I did only stumble across music. And I tried to describe that. I didn't actually just play with sticks and have parents who abandoned me or any of those things that I say in the in the uh, song, but I was just trying to make it sort of bereft of these things and then coming upon them. Well, I think it's lovely. Thank you. That's Scott Robinson on that whale and unbelievable saxophone. He's a brilliant saxophone player. Well, you just mentioned a musician, and I know you've had the opportunity to play with some great players over the years. Yeah. Is there one that comes to your mind that you still can't believe that you got a chance to play with that person? Attractions was actually the second time that I've recorded with Bucky Pizzarelli, and I have to say the first time I recorded with Bucky, it was my the second recording I ever made, and I remember he came over to my apartment to rehearse, and I just felt like, that's it, I made it. I have Bucky Pizzarelli coming over to my apartment to, to, to jam with me and to, you know, to work on a record. What better could life be? And speaking of well-known people, he's known more in the motion picture world, but you're also known as a 10-year veteran of the Woody Allen New Orleans Jazz Band, which we've been covering the last couple of months, and it's been a very fascinating story being told. So how did you get involved with that band? I was working with the Woody Allen Jazz Band mostly as a sub for years on banjo, and then the band changed. I was invited to play piano in the band, and I said no. <laughs> I, I didn't consider myself really a jazz pianist. I played piano all my life, but I didn't feel experienced playing jazz. And uh, Eddie Davis, the uh, the band's musical director, said, no, you know, you understand the style of music that this is. You understand the whole Bunk Johnson thing. And I thought, well, you know, I'll give it a try. And we had these 
private jam sessions at the Harkness House, and we just played there, and there was no audience, and we played and we recorded and recorded and played and played, and as I started playing, I realized I was a good fit for the band, because it does require a certain connection to this very particular style that Woody plays, and I sort of had to learn as I go how to play in this way, but I feel like I found my way, and I actually parted with the band about a year ago, but I still play with them on occasion. I'll be appearing with them this December uh, for the month, and so I'm sort of with them part-time, I guess you might say now. This has been kind of interesting because nobody has answered this question the same way. What was your impression of Woody Allen when you met him? Well, he's a very sweet guy to deal with, very sort of gentle, soft-spoken. I was wondering if he could really play. (laughs) You know, I remember that. I was wondering if it was one of those kind of celebrity slumming kind of things or not. And it ended up that he could play with heart like you can't believe. That I really was impressed by. The guy can make an emotional connection, and that's what matters to me. And I found him easy to work with, a little shy. I think initially I was just saw him as gentle. I remember I was advised to be rather assertive in being friendly with him because otherwise you could go for years and he would never say a word. <laughs> so I did just that, and, and he was very responsive, so it was very good advice. <laughs> and, and he's, you know, we, we always got along fine. You've had the chance to play in a lot of interesting places. And I know some people say being a musician can be a curse, but you've had a chance to see and do a lot of things that most people will never get a chance to, to see. So the places that you played, is there a place that comes to mind? I would say the most amazing tour I ever did was throughout the Middle East uh, as a State Department tour, going to places like the United Arab Emirates and Yemen and also South Asia. We were in India and Pakistan and I mean, my banjo brought me to these incredible places. But not only that, I mean, throughout Europe and the Far East and Australia and Central America, I love travel and I love the adventure of going to these places and, and I also love playing, making music, you know, with other people. So I feel really lucky that it's given me (laughs) so many things that I wouldn't normally be able to do if I wasn't in this business. I was hoping you could tell us about one of the other things that you do in addition to performing music. I understand you're also a teacher of music. This past year, I decided I wanted to balance working more in New York where I live and and not make it so top-heavy to other countries and other places as much. I wanted to get a better balance. And one of the ways I thought I would do that was by teaching, and I expanded the number of students that I had and I wasn't sure what that would be like, and I absolutely love it. I love giving private lessons, and I have the joy of teaching these great people. They're really nice, and they range from complete beginners to professional-level players. Very rewarding, and I enjoy it. It's something I've added in. I'm still primarily a performer, but teaching has, has a larger place in my life than it used to. I was hoping you could tell us about some of the shows that you've been doing lately. You have some shows. I know that you stay quite busy playing music, and our listeners that are up in that area, we have listeners everywhere, they can go see you perform. I will be uh, with the Woody Allen Band uh, in December, you know, playing piano and singing. On December 21st, I'll be at the Rodeo Bar 
on 3rd Avenue at 27th Street, and we'll be doing jazz with a Western flair there at Rodeo Bar. On the 26th and 27th, uh, I'll be at Knickerbockers, uh, which is a very well-established jazz room in New York, and I'll be playing with Johnny Varro, a great jazz pianist. I don't know, in January I'll be at Smalls, but I just, you know, places here and there. And everybody can check out CynthiaSayer.com and look at the schedule. Speaking of the people, what is it that you hope that the listener gets out of the experience, whether they're listening to the CD or they come out and see you in person? What do you hope the listener gets out of the experience of hearing the music and seeing the event? What I hope most is that they leave with a far expanded view of the instrument than than what they came in with. The average person thinks of it in very specific ways, yet so much is done with the instrument. I play the four-string banjo. Listeners may not know there are three main kinds of banjos, the five-string, the tenor, and the plectrum. And uh, I play what's called a plectrum banjo uh, with a flat pick, sort of like a guitar approach. And the five-string players like Bela Fleck and Tony Trishka, they're very, very innovative, doing all kinds of different things. And the four-string banjo is exactly the same way. There's so many different areas and and genres that it works great in. And it's not just New Orleans, not just banjo sing-alongs. There's so much more to it. It is a serious jazz instrument. It's compatible to a wide level of genres, and it works great in a lot of capacities. And so I hope I present it that way uh, when I play. So what is it that you like about music? That I can sleep late every day. (laughs) Well, that's not true. When you're on tour, you got to wake up. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard. I work very, very hard. Some people don't realize that being in the music business is also a business. There's contracts, there's press, there's business things. There's also the music side of things, writing arrangements, you know, different kinds of jobs. There's an enormous variety of work, which is very stimulating. In jazz, it tends to be very freelance, so we get to work with all different people, which is fabulous. I love that. The variety and the diversity is great. The perks are fabulous. We're working for yourself you know, traveling adventures and living in a really wonderful way, doing what you want to do every day. It's sort of feeling like you're really in charge of your own life and doing something that you love. I have two final questions, one lighthearted and then one a little more serious. The lighthearted one first. What is your all-time favorite meal? Meal? (laughs) Food. Uh, You know, I'm a little embarrassed to say it because it was so damn expensive. As a matter of fact, it was on a Woody Allen tour. We were in Paris, and we had about five days or six days off in Paris over Christmas. The man I was sharing my life with came, and we we had a holiday Christmas together, and we had a holiday meal at the Maurice Hotel, which was an absolute culinary adventure beyond which I have ever experienced in my life, and maybe will be the top one that I ever do experience because I am certainly loath to pay the price ever again because <laughs> it seems frankly unethical to do that but it was it was an amazing an amazing meal so that's a funny question <laughs> I'm glad I asked it but uh, my final question this broadcast is going out all over the world and one of the amazing things about this series is the fact that we've heard from people from all over the world oh, thanks. so my last question What would you like to say to the world? What would you like to say to all those people that are listening in? 
We thank you so much. Whenever you support live music and whenever you purchase, you know, live artists' recordings, you know, whether it's online or as a CD, you're really helping the survival of a really important thing that we all love, which is music. Everybody out there who ever goes to any live performance of any kind, we thank you from the bottom of my heart, and I hope you'll just do it all you can, because that's what keeps it all going. Very good. Well, Ms. Sayer, I thank you very much for this interview. It's been very, very interesting talking to you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. Hosted, written, and produced by Paul Leslie. Intro theme song, Alexander's Ragtime Band, written by Irving Berlin, performed by Dan Barrett. Outro scatting G-Things, improvised, performed, and produced by John Goodwin. Until next time. Goodbye.